0: And I'm Bill Newman.
1: And there is some really good news that we all should be paying attention to. We have a uh, we we constantly cover on talk to talk the problem of the lack of affordable housing and adequate affordable housing in this region, the impact on everything from employment in this region to schools in this region, that it it is a pr- tremendous problem. There's a little bit of good news, well, more than a little bit for a lot of people. Good news coming from the state from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and with us to talk about it are two experts and activists who make a huge impact in this arena, Wayfinders President and CEO Keith Ferry and Valley Community Development Corporation Executive Director Alexis Breitniger, and thank you both for being in studio. Thank you. Happy to be here. So um, what's
2: the good news? Let me start with you, Keith Ferry. Uh, The good news is on uh, Monday, uh, the governor announced funding for uh, 26 projects across the Commonwealth. And we have a couple here um, between Valley and um, and Wayfinders that we'll be doing here in the Pioneer Valley. So really excited to be uh, being funded for creating new housing opportunities that uh, would not exist without the investment of the the Commonwealth, but also without the support of our local communities.
1: And uh, Director Breitniger, what's your thoughts?
3: Um, we are also very excited, and this the project that was announced on Monday for Valley is one that we'd actually applied for funding for last year and did not receive funding, so we were uh, even more excited to finally have it funded, um, and that is the, the n- former Northampton nursing home on Bridge Road in Northampton.
1: So that sounds interesting. Tell us what's going to happen.
3: I would love to. So the former nur- uh, nursing home is going to be developed into 60 new affordable apartments, It's going to range from studios to three bedrooms, which are all needed across the board. And the really interesting piece for us with this development is a new area, um, and it's not emerging technology, but it isn't commonly used, particularly in multifamilies, and that is geothermal as a source for heating and cooling. So we are going to have over 40 400-foot wells dug in the existing parking lot.
1: 400-foot wells.
3: 40 400-foot deep wells that are going to then be able to— I don't know the complicated process, but (laughs) convert the heat from the earth and use it to cool and heat the building, um, which is super cool. It's going to be all electric, and we are also going to use solar panels as well. So no fossil fuels at all.
1: I just have to divert just a second to talk about it. And this is why, because we had the plant manager uh, for the University of Massachusetts talking about by 2030, their aspiration is to have thermal heating throughout that enormous campus, Mm -hmm. all Mm -hmm. those buildings. Mm to eliminate fossil fuels, Mm -hmm. um, and it's so exciting. So I thought, oh, that's great. And then I went to visit a grandson at Oberlin out in Oberlin, Ohio, Oberlin College, where they had the nation's first thermal heated hotel, the hotel at Oberlin, that we stayed in um, while we were visiting with him. And there, I think it was 220 feet. Mm -hmm. And it was so way cool to be in a hotel room where you can open your window and it was warm, and there were no fossil fuels. So it's a net zero mm-hmm. hotel with mm. about 300 rooms or something like that. It was. I'm so excited about this prospect. So 400 feet down. So this is a real game changer, isn't it?
3: We, we think so. Um, it should be easier to manage. So they're less likely to break than some of the current, even electric units that we put in. So mini splits, for example, are in some of the developments. One that we have an office in and Wayfinders owns and the, the rumor from property management is the mini splits are a little bit of a nightmare from a maintenance issue. Um, so we're hoping that this eases both the property management side, there's no fossil fuels, and it's just really cool technology. So you probably know, too, that Smith College is putting in a huge geothermal. We're hoping to tap into that for one of another Northampton development that we're doing. It's just really interesting technology that has been around for decades and mm-hmm. decades in other parts of the world, um, just not commonly used particularly in the northeast.
1: Interesting and uh, and important, incredibly important. Um, But just before we we leave the Northampton nursing home development, um, we're talking about 60 families, 60 units there? 60
3: units. So it's huge. And Keith can talk a little bit more about the the need. But what we do know is that the number of folks that are homeless is going up. So we're not, we're not unfortunately doing better in terms of um, making a dent in that. There are more housing units that are being built, and it's still not meeting the need. So for Valley, 60 is a lot. For Wayfinders, not quite so much. But our our largest project to date has been 28 units. Um, and that just opened in Amherst. So this is a big step up for us. And the need is absolutely there. And one of the ways we're able to do it is because this is a rehab, it's not new construction. Um, so the shell of that building is actually really in great shape and very, very solid. So we're just gonna modify the interior and make it comfortable. And it's as I said, studios up to three bedrooms and variety of income ranges. Some units are going to be set aside for folks coming out of homelessness.
1: Uh, Keith, forgive me. Forgive me if I'm fumbling with my words. I'm not used to good news. Yeah, this is like an unusual occurrence here. So, what is the need for low-income housing in this?
2: Well, the need is tremendous. You know, we looked at uh, with the Donahue Institute back in 2022, when, and we found that uh, 17,000 uh, households needed uh, housing that was affordable at $500 or less. That means that their incomes could only afford $500. So. Uh, when we're talking about building the housing we're building with the support from the state, these are going to be uh, many of these units will be deeply affordable for um, for people at 30 percent of area median income and below. Say that um, again. 30 percent of area median income and below. Area median right. income and below. Right. So that th- those are deeply affordable units. But um, and then in the projects that we're doing in um, in Holyoke and in particular, that's going to be an all affordable project. All units will be at either 30, 50, or 60 percent of AMI. And That's then, called the Essex. Is that that right? is. It, it's going to be. It's right across the street from the Holyoke Public Library. It's the second phase of a project there. Uh, the first page phase we opened up in um, in 2021. 38 units, uh, family housing, in two, uh, two buildings there. When we when we did the lottery for that, we had 1,500 applicants for mm-hmm. those 38 units. So we're really excited because th- what this does is it fills in the remaining uh, vacant lots around it and completes a vacant building. Uh, that's been uh, vacant and shuttered for uh, for decades now right across the street from the library. So the neighborhood impact is going to be tremendous in terms of uh, putting positive activity back into the neighborhood, uh, putting a significant investment on top of another investment that was made. Uh, and it all started with the, the city of Holyoke's urban renewal plan in the early 2010s, where they identified this neighborhood and we said, okay, we're going to start uh, to acquire property and kind of build a, a development plan with the city. Uh, to reinvest and kind of try to bring back this downtown neighborhood in Holyoke. So we're really excited about it. How many uh, units there? Uh, it's going to be 41 units of family housing. Some of them will look like townhomes. And then in, in the, uh, S, the the building called the Essex, which is uh, a, a, a vacant building there, we'll have 12 uh, apartments. Mm-hmm. And will these be for rent or for purchase? These are all rentals. Um, and so um, we're... Um, we're glad they'll look like home ownership units, but they'll and they'll have that same quality. But they'll be, they'll be rentals. Uh, we're looking at other things in the surrounding neighborhood to potentially do some home ownership in the future, but that's what we're doing here. And then, uh, just across the the Connecticut River, there in South Hadley, we're also doing another project 60 units. Um, yeah, and uh, in the Rockies Ace Hardware Plaza, we're partnering with um. Uh, uh, the owner of that plaza and his partners um, to, uh, to bring new affordable housing there. What's exciting about this one is it's in a 40R district. Uh, and South Hadley also got a lot of press recently because of their uh, pr- support and their. Um, I don't know what that means. Forty R. 40 R district. Everybody doesn't know forty R. I'm sorry. Forty is a, I skipped that day in school. Yes, forty. Yeah, sorry. For, forgive me for the jargon, everybody. Forty R is a um, is a um, essentially a zoning designation that a town can pursue in Massachusetts. Uh, and ad- identifying a, a town center area where they would like to have higher density housing and affordable housing units. And so uh, working with the town, um, uh, we and our partners identified the site. The town created a 40R, uh, which allows for greater density than would normally be there. So, we, um, so that allows us to do 60, 60 units in, in, a, in an overparked today uh, shopping plaza. So we're kind of diversifying what's there. Uh, on this site, used to be, for those who, who are familiar, used to be a big Y, um, and then it became a parking lot. And so uh, we're really thrilled to be bringing uh, 60 affordable uh, workforce and market rate units here. So it's going to be a mixed income development. Um, so it's not um, it's 100% affordable, but... Um, mo- the majority of the units will be affordable to, uh, to low-income and working families, uh, and then all of them will be for working families. Um, uh, with, we all have about uh, 10 or so uh, market rate units as well because we know there's just a need for housing, period, for everybody.
1: And these will all be for rental as well.
2: All be for rental as well, and that's going to uh, be a, a four-story building there in, in, in South Hadley. And that again builds on what South Hadley is building on that with the housing production plan that they just launched and got town approval for 300 plus more units to be built in town. So we're really excited to kind of start that effort there in South Hadley with the town.
1: Wow, this is uh, really incredible. So can I just go back, Keith Ferry, just stay with you for a moment? When people, when you say there's a lottery, how do people know that there's an opportunity? How do people find out that they can apply? Where do they apply?
2: Sure. So there's a couple of different ways you can find out about these lotteries. Um, there's an, uh, a terrific website that's out now today that has uh, all the affordable housing projects on or on. It's called, it's called HousingNavigatorMA.org. Um, and Let me say
1: you, that again because some people might be driving.
2: HousingNavigatorMA.org. Um, and it is a completely searchable website where you can find if you're interested in, in um, moving or living or in Northampton and you want to see if there are affordable housing units for, uh, for a lease or are there any lotteries coming up, you can um, put in Northampton and they'll show you what's, what's coming up or what's available. Uh, and that's for, for any community in the Commonwealth. So that's one way. Another way is through uh, coming to, the, to, to either of our websites. I know we, we advertise when we're going to have these things. And then finally, uh, we have to do both. Have to do all projects to do affirmative marketing plans, where we're when we're getting closer to these lotteries, where we're doing advertising and other things in 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 local media outlets and uh, making it well known uh, that these projects are coming online. So there are three ways there: Uh, Housing Navigator MA, uh, the organization's websites. Um, And then we'll be doing some affirmative marketing as we get closer. We meaning each organization, each development organization.
3: Anybody who gets state funding to do affordable housing is required to do like very robust marketing plans to ensure that you have the largest potential applicant pool for the lotteries.
1: So Valley CDC Executive Director Alexis Breitniker, uh, is this, uh, when you get news like this, this sounds like really great news. (laughs) It
3: is really great news. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and it's the kind of news that you wish every year that you were going to hear, right? Yes. So is are, are we sort of uh, breaking ground here and hope that this is going to be a continuing obligation on the part of the Commonwealth to continue to fund? Because the need sounds so pressing, so enormous, and the consequence of finding housing for, well, we just talked about 60 plus 60 plus 40. That's 160 families yes. mm-hmm. that, that will be able to work and send their kids to school and be part of our community as they deserve to be. Uh, it's a pretty profound thing how do we make sure that this continues to happen
3: so i think one of the the biggest pieces and the biggest um like emotional boosters for us has been the governor's commitment to c- the creation of affordable housing and she signaled that through this It is in the weeds, so I apologize in advance. But a bond bill, which is essentially how a lot of the programs that Keith and I use to fund these developments, they're in the bond bill. It comes out once every five years, and the one that she put out right now is the largest bond bill that's ever been proposed in the state, and it's four point one billion with a B dollars, Um, and that is signaling the creation on her end of forty thousand units of housing across the Commonwealth, and one of the things that. Um, Keith and I do as advocates on the side is to really try to ensure that Western Mass is getting its fair share of that, which has not always been true. Um, There's a number of folks who track these numbers. I know Keith does as well. And um, Western Mass often doesn't get you know, an equivalent amount as the Boston area does. And I think that's starting to shift. The governor has been out here a number of times. The new housing secretary has been to Western Mass. And they really are signaling to us as as affordable nonprofit developers that they they want to make the investment in Western Mass and – this bond bill is a, a really primary way that it's it's going to happen. Without this amount of funding, I mean, building housing takes money. So for example, the nursing home project that I was just talking about, when we originally applied for funding in the winter of 2022 and were not funded, it was a $25 million-ish project. Um, when we reapplied nine months later, it Was a $30 million project. Mm. Not because we changed anything on our end, but because costs continue to escalate, there is still a post pandemic supply chain issue wages labor wages are still going up subcontractors are requiring more money like every piece of it continues to get more expensive so the longer things sit the longer it takes to fund them the more money it's going to cost and then you're getting fewer units for the same amount of money like overall if you think about you know everybody having their slice of the pie so i think the governor wants stuff to happen quickly um one of the pieces for us is the amount of time it takes from when the governor makes the announcement that we're funded to when we can actually break ga- ground And we push that envelope for sure. I mean, I know Keith will probably laugh, but we were told about funding last week and we're hoping to break ground in July. And that is an aggressive timeline. It often takes a year between when you are told you have the money to when you are like shovels in the ground. And that just, you know, it slows everything down. And when this is such an urgent need, folks need housing. Like people can't move out of shelters because there's no place for them to go. And then the shelters are backlogged as I was just hearing about this morning on a Western Mass Network to End Homelessness call, every shelter in Western Mass is over capacity. So if folks can't get into shelter, they're on the streets, or they're in a hotel, which is costing more money. So moving the timeline as fast as we can to get affordable housing units up and running is just so critically important.
1: It's it's not only, like, the, in terms of humanism, the best thing to do. It's It enriches our community, and it is cost-effective in the long run. So Absolutely. We're going to continue this conversation. After the break, I want to ask one of you about where how we choose where to locate these things i'm thinking about transportation for people Mm -hmm. who might not have cars Mm -hmm. and the like we will be right back with keith ferry and alexis bright niker the
2: old landlady was so lovely, dovey for five long years she was so nice and kind in every way every friday evening i come home with my paycheck she'll smile she was so lovely, dovey My meal's on time, my bath water be ready, everything be ready, it rocked on, one Friday evening i come home.
4: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
1: And we are back. We are talking about uh, a wonderful development. There's $4.1 billion in the bond bill mm-hmm. that uh, so much is being allocated in order to well provide housing for people who need it uh, across the Commonwealth and particularly in this region. Uh, Keith Ferry, I wanted to ask you of, of uh, Wayfinders, I wanted to ask you about the siting of the projects um, that uh, will be housing those people who right now don't have housing. Um, in particular, I know that a lot of people who are low income, they can't afford cars mm-hmm. or, or gas to put in it. They uh, are concerned about schools and getting their children safely to and front schools. How do you decide where to site an affordable housing project?
2: Well, certainly transportation options are, is key for us. We do look at that. We um, try not to put people and uh, develop opportunities where people are going to be isolated. Um, so both the projects that we have are uh, proximate to public transportation uh, in Holyoke. Uh, it's a, a couple of blocks away from their intermodal center. It's a downtown location. It's a walkable place uh, in South Hadley. Um, it is also uh, right, on, right on 116. Buses come up and down 116. The challenge, even with that, though, to be candid, is our bus system is not the greatest bus system. It doesn't always get you where we need to go. So we do need, uh, in addition to this terrific investment that the governor is proposing through the Affordable Homes Act in housing, we also need complementary investments in regional transportation. There's a lot been talked about in terms of East-West Rail or West-East Rail, um, but um, uh, we need to be able to get around our region. Uh, and today, our, our bus system, PVTA, um, has, has some real limitations. And so it is something that we look at when we're looking at siting projects in terms of the, the capacity of the site, uh, the location of the site, in uh, proximity to transportation and other things that families need. Um, uh, but, um, but transportation is an ongoing issue of affordability for people in our region. And when people come to us in need, uh, one that, those are the two. That's a dual-headed uh, challenge that they're, they're often facing is um uh, they can't find housing or if they can find housing, how uh, they can't get from their housing to their, to their place of employment or to other resources that they need for their family. Huge challenges for people who are of low income. Bill, you had a question.
0: Yeah, I do. I'd like to know from our two expert guests here more about the $4.1 billion that's being yep. designated in the governor's budget. So, and in particular, in particular, I'd like to know are we going to actually see a difference here in Western Massachusetts in the next year or two or three because of this funding?
2: Yes. So uh, the four point one billion dollars is a proposal. right? It's a proposal, and uh, the, the I was just a hearing uh, last week on this uh, in in the State House. Uh, tremendous outpouring of support. I was there at the State House. Uh, well over 250 people. The hearing went for 11 hours, uh, and I was there. Unfortunately, for a lot of it. I mean, I was, I was happy to be there, but I hope to be out there not there, there that long. Uh, and they call, they call it a, a hearing.
1: There's a lot to hear in 11 yes. hours.
2: Uh, tremendous support from legislators and advocates and people from across the Commonwealth for this uh, historic investment proposal that the government's put forward, uh, and what it's what's in the bond bill. And the bond bill is a a normal activity, as Alexis described, happens every five years. Uh, But what's unique about this one and what's unique about what the governor is doing, and I want to also talk about the budget. So the budget and the bond bill, two different things. The governor just released their budget yesterday and a supplemental budget. Big money for housing in both those things. So this governor is making good on her commitment to create more abundant, affordable housing in Massachusetts these are the largest set of complementary investments that the commonwealth has ever seen and i think that are going on really for a scale, on a scale basis anywhere in the country um, Alexa, could like you, could
0: you could you stop there for one second yeah. i'd like either one of you to explain this i think our listeners will find it interesting there is the 4.1 billion dollars the bond bill that means the, the, the commonwealth is going to borrow 4.1 billion dollars and devote that money and pay back that money based on housing and then there's the budget Uh, What does the budget do? How does that work as a complement to the bond bill?
2: So the the budget funds uh, different programs, Uh, everything from the Massachusetts Rental Voucher Program, which is a... a Program that can help people buy housing or, or rent housing on the on the on the uh, on the open market. So that's just like the uh, federal Section 8 program, where one of the one of the only states in the in the country that has its own uh, uh, rental voucher program to help low-income it's people afford housing. It's, it's a, a subsidy, subsidy. a rental subsidy that uh, people can go and, and rent a, a a unit in the in the community. Uh, so we don't have to build a new unit, but just you get helping people afford their housing. Uh, so there are a number of different programs like that. Emergency rental assistance is in the budget. All these types of programs are in there. Um, and then there, what's in the bond bill, what's unique about the bond bill this time, just going back to that, is it also has 28 policy recommendations in it. Typically the bond bill is just about capital authorizations. This is 28 uh, policy recommendations that could also strengthen uh, a, affordable housing opportunity choice uh, uh, throughout and affordability throughout the Commonwealth. And in the budget, and in supplemental budget, I was just on a call last night about this with uh, with uh, with folks, uh, there's a supplemental budget which was also released yesterday that includes $150 million in investments to accelerate the development of affordable housing. So the governor is not sitting on her hands waiting for the bond bill to get passed. The budget also, um, and the supplemental budget that she's putting forward, which she wants to get passed now, is, uh, has money to build more housing, to invest in public housing as well. Uh, we have a unique thing here in Massachusetts as well. We have state-funded public housing, state-created, um, and there's money for uh, capital projects there. Uh, and so it's just the governor is really coming at this in a, in a tremendously comprehensive way, uh, looking at ways to make sure that people can stay stably housed and then investing in creating new housing at a scale we have never seen in Massachusetts.
1: I want to follow that with a question for Valley CDC Executive Director Alexis Breitniker, which is so many, and, and perhaps listeners who are listening right now, they think that this is just compassion being showed to people who don't have adequate resources. But the impact on our community in terms of employment and so many other things, why is it in our interest to expend these monies on affordable housing and low-income housing?
3: Sure. So um, I think anybody who has been out in the general public in the past uh, year might have seen going into a restaurant or going into a retail shop or going even into a big-box store, and you see Help Wanted signs up everywhere or suddenly a store that was open seven days a week is only open five days a week or they've shortened their hours or you're waiting longer to get your burrito or whatever and that is because there's a worker shortage and part of the worker shortage is because people cannot afford to live here so it even if it doesn't help you personally it helps the broad community because we need folks to be able to live in the places where they want to live and one of the biggest metrics of that is can I afford to be there so Mm -hmm. when we talk to folks who say, well, you know, I'm trying to staff up, but I can't find anybody, and people are driving in from Connecticut. Like, that doesn't help our local economy. We want people here.
4: Well, I don't have a a question. I just have a story. Uh, Yesterday, I went to go get lunch, and uh, I was looking at the menu, and then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, I'll I'll pick that. And the person behind the cashier said, oh, I'm sorry, today there's uh, no lunch menu served here. Sorry, the the employees... uh, aren't around so uh, we had to close the kitchen so, so it did affect exactly. Dan personally there uh, just go. yesterday you know and so I heard that story I about want my burrito one, well exactly <laughs> and you know I was a little upset and then I basically laughed and I was like okay no I wasn't upset yeah. I was I was totally fine That's with burrito. it and, and I understand you know what I've come to accept initially I was upset when this would happen places would close and I was like this is unacceptable Right, right after COVID closed. Nowadays, I, I said I even told the person off. I was like, "This is the new normal. Labor is there's such a shortage. People aren't coming in. People are out. Or now people have to be extra cautious that they might be sick. So there's only you know one person able to cover or whatever. That lack of shortage creates uh, bottlenecks, and businesses I think feel it as well.
1: It's also the characterization of people not wanting to work is just so untrue. There's so many people. Uh, willing, ready, able to work. It's, it's exactly what they want to do, and they can't get jobs because they can't afford to live in our region and across the Commonwealth. I mean, it's expensive to live in Boston, no matter what section of Boston you're in. It's impossible.
2: Yeah, and I was just going to say, you know, as we look at these investments in our communities, and that's what these ho- housing investments are. They're investments in the future of our communities and in our families and in our local economies, right? So, yes, we're going to create jobs through the through the housing construction. Yes, we're going to provide Stable quality housing for workers in our communities uh, and those workers are, guess, all those folks who, who are kind of providing frontline programs and services, including your teachers, including your police officers, including your, your uh, EMTs and firefighters and your nurses. They all need stable housing and um, today we do not have the housing options. And so what's happening Uh, if we have declining population, which we do, we have flat to declining population in our region, we start to lose those services that you're talking about. Yes, it may seem a little bit trivial. Yes, I can't get the burrito today. Uh, But how about going to the uh, uh, not being able to get someone on the phone to make that medical appointment or how about not being able to have a maternity unit ward anymore? because the demographics for the hospital that they look at for that are saying, oh, there's not that many uh, uh, families here, so we don't really, it's not gonna make money for us, so we're not gonna have it open. So we have to be uh, thinking about uh, a, a positive and locally directed growth strategy, and that's what this is about, kind of stabilizing our population and growing. We have schools with declining uh, enrollment. Uh, so we have the infrastructure for more people and many communities throughout the Commonwealth. I did actually a look at our gateway cities, cities like Holyoke, Holyoke was 62,000 people at one point. It's 37,000 people today. The city didn't shrink in size. Many of the buildings didn't go away. They're just not occupied today. Because people
1: can't afford it. That is a great yeah. place to leave it. I can't thank you both enough. We're so lucky to have Wayfinders and President Keith Ferry here in this community and Valley CDC with Executive Director Alexis Breitnicker. Thanks for all you do every day. And hey, if you're listening, thank you, Governor Healy. We'll be right back with our governor's counselor, Tari Jacobs, right after this.
4: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.